0: Hello all beardside listeners, here's the audio from our newest YouTube episode. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, the brand new Trending Topics Network.com, or most other listening avenues for this podcast. We also kindly ask when you have a moment to rate, review, subscribe, and leave comments to wherever you are getting this wonderful sound. Please enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to All Beer Inside. Today we are in La Salle, Quebec, and joining me is Alex of 1769 Distillery. Hi, Thanks, hi, Carp. Thank you very much for hosting us today. No problem. Uh, Clearly busy schedule, very busy distillery yep. from what I'm seeing. Uh, thank you very much on a the day we're recording, a very snowy day. Yeah, <laughs> so, snowstorm two days straight. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, bit of a pain in the butt, but it's Canada. We should yep. be used to it. Yep, exactly. So for those who don't know uh, 1769, tell us, what's your distillery story? So 1769 was a uh, project that
1: my dad and my mom... My parents wanted to start uh, when they turned—they turned fifty, believe it or not. Both of my parents both worked in uh, media before, and they. Uh they always enjoyed traveling to distilleries when they were uh, t- uh, traveling. Uh, my dad used to work a lot in the United States, so he'd travel to a lot of American distilleries. My mother, she in the 90s, uh, traveled all across Europe for work, so she got to visit a lot of great Scottish and Ireland and, and, and European distilleries, like and big distillers back then because in the 90s, not a lot of craft distilleries <laughs> around then. Um, so when they turned 50 my dad wanted to do something different Um, he was in the post-production business and he wanted to get out and um, he turned to my mom and he was like hey let's start a distillery um my mom was like sure you're crazy (laughs) but sure and um yeah so they did the work from you know i think that was around 2011 so from 2011 all the way up to 2014 they were doing the groundwork you know business plans we live in quebec so and live in montreal so we wanted to start a distillery in montreal which had its own unique challenges back then. And in 2014, uh, we got all of our licenses, so federal license or provincial license. Uh, we finally got our distillery set up in a small 2,000 square foot space in Verdun in, a, in an old uh, industrial building. And uh, we started doing our first R&D project, uh, which was our first gin. Back in 2019, we realized we needed to move the distillery for a varied uh, numerous reasons and uh we found this old building and this old complex which is uh i don't uh for those of you who aren't you know uh, here with us mm-hmm. today um it's the old seagram's distillery in la Salle, quebec which is you know millions of square feet uh vastly numerous amounts of buildings you know original rack houses that held crown royal and seagram's vo for hundreds of years, yeah. um, and, uh, unfortunately in 2009 was abandoned by Diageo and uh in 2019 a developer bought the the property and approached us and they're like hey we want to put a distillery in here would you be happy to come in and and be the distillery so we all of 2020 during the pandemic 2021 we were doing construction and then in october 2021 we moved in here and started officially distilling uh, around november 2021 december 2021 so we've been in here for about a year now and um We're really happy. Uh, It's been a phenomenal place, you know. uh, Moving from 2,000 square feet to 13,000 square feet is a very big move. But also, it's nice not to have to do three hours of uh, musical palettes
0: uh, to to get to the vital pieces of equipment that I need to get to. Yeah. It's funny, too, because you mentioned, like, it's the old Seagram's building owned by Diageo, and like the highway next to it is literally called the Whiskey Trench. Yeah. It's so, like, for those who don't know, this... Two hundred years, I think they've been here. So oh like yeah, was, yeah. So
1: this complex was actually started in the early third, like in the early twentieth century. Yeah. I, I don't know this. I don't remember the specific year mm-hmm. or time frame that it was started in. But what happened was in the story of how this place came to be was the Brothmans uh, and Joseph Seagram had uh, been working together, um, and they bought equipment from a distillery during Prohibition. When Prohibition happened, so they. Uh, they uh they bought all the equipment from a distillery that legally couldn't operate anymore and they moved all the equipment up here they started actually the, one of the, the building we're in right now is one of the original buildings of the entire complex okay um the building next door to us that's on three-story building is where the stills where the collection tanks were where shipping and receiving was um so they kind of built this entire complex piecemeal based off of how big they grew um obviously joseph seagram's left the mm-hmm. Business and uh, the Brockman family, uh, who, for any Montrealers out there, um, I believe the Bronkman's were the uh, the owners of the Montreal Expos, the baseball team. Um, yeah, we need <laughs> baseball back. Man. Uh, the um, uh, they were the ones who had uh, who owned the Seagram's Distillery, mm-hmm. and uh, in unfortunately in the early two thousands, they sold uh, due to a myriad of reasons of. Numerous that I can't get into right mm-hmm. now because it'll take like a whole other history lesson. <laughs> um,
0: That's a full other
1: episode. and just <laughs> and just bad decisions along the way. Diageo mm-hmm. bought uh, their portfolio, bought the distillery, um, used this place for a good nine years or about nine to ten years before they decided to move out. And um, reasons why they needed to move out were very evident. There was a lot of things that we that needed to be updated. Electrical needed to all be redone. Plumbing all needed to be redone. It was. It was uh, it was a long it was a Guess long he ride.
0: Casemate suits because of asbestos. So.
1: Uh, no, thankfully <laughs> uh, they did remove the asbestos oh. uh, in the early 2000s. Okay, so we that's didn't that's... have to deal with that.
0: Thank God. <laughs> One plus. Yeah. 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 No, I mean the history building. You know, my mother had mentioned it's like, yeah, your grandfather worked here. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So, it's crazy and. It, it is, like, to me, it's, it's time for LaSalle to, to have things like this. Oh, yeah. It's it's time for, you know, you saw the... And I'm surprised that you left Verdun, but it's bigger space. Clearly, you wanted to get to a bigger space, yeah. uh, which is the important part. And I'm guessing the kind of city of LaSalle is very welcoming to have a distillery come back? Yes and no. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, I, the... Uh, we needed...
1: It's sad and unfortunate that we needed to leave Verdun. Um, you know, I... I I don't live in Verdun, but I basically, you know, I was kind of raised in Verdun. Um, My dad had another business that was in that same building and he basically started that when I was born so you know the times that I would go with him to work or hang out with my friends all of my hangout spots were in Verdun with them my friends live in Verdun so it's like it's kind of sad that we had to move but we tried desperately to find buildings to stay in Verdun and for the specific type of building that we would need to move our distillery into and have the adequate amount of space and facility needs it just just wasn't there and the only other places that really had what we needed were either all the way near the airport in the West Island or luckily this building, but it needed a lot of work. So mm-hmm. we decided, you know, there is a historical draw. Um, being the first distillery to be back in the old Seagram's distillery is definitely something that we're really proud of being. And um, it's one of the reasons why we decided to we decided to make the move from
0: Verdun to LaSalle. But it's also not that far. Yeah, <laughs> You're talking yeah, yeah, like yeah. what? A couple of streets yeah, yeah, <laughs> from from yeah. them yeah exactly it's you know a quick little drive so if you have a designated driver it's just yeah, like yeah. go here and then or you could take a bus you could take a yeah, bus bus metro yeah so we're going to try a product here or two what, yeah what are we for gonna sure try? so um
1: i can we could try first our uh, madison park linden dry gym sure. which was our first product ever made um it's a London Dry Gin style, and the reason why we did a London Dry Gin as our first product was, uh, at the time, at the SAQ, because we, were, as a Quebec distillery, we could only commercialize our products at the SAQ, mm-hmm. we wanted to create something that was locally made here but was very classic, was very reminiscent of some of the great British gins that are well renowned, and uh, we wanted to try and make our own version of that. So we've got seven botanicals in this, we've got juniper berries, Mm -hmm. coriander seeds, orange and lemon peel, cardamom, uh, angelica root, and our specialty botanical that we use in every single gin, Grains of Paradise. Cool. So, yeah. So uh, actually... In canada we don't really have many legal definitions of what gin is Mm -hmm. but london dry gin is one of those that is legally defined to be um you know distilled cut with water and that's it Mm -hmm. bottled at 40 at least 37 and a half so this was bottled at 40 and um
0: and yeah awesome as we do cheers cheers oh so smooth
1: I, this is one of my favorite gins that we yeah. make. I have so much fun making this. <laughs> it's, um, we wanted juniper forward, but also have um, citrus forward. And the difference between uh, this and, at the time, all of the big international gins was all the big international gins are very complex, very juniper forward, very botanical heavy. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to create something that was much smoother, lighter on the botanical load and something yeah. that people who didn't really like gin could get into it
0: smoothness is nice too. It's it's nice to have, like, you know, that nice, smooth, hard, hard alcohol. Yeah. That's, you know, craft alcohol. That's why I'm trying more and more to support craft alcohol. I'm still like, if I'm going to a bar and I'm having a mixed drink and all they have is the mass brand stuff, I'll just deal with it. For yeah. Now. But if I'm making a cocktail at home, I'd like to have specialty craft products. And now uh, I'm noticing more and more like craft mixers as well. Yes. And to me, it's, you know, you can always support a local company this way so just why aren't you doing it
1: yeah for sure and i think in in quebec and, and in canada overall there's there's a big movement to support mm-hmm. local but one of the big challenges that we're seeing here with a lot of local products is because we're small manufacturing because we're small very you know small batch still even though we make large larger batches than what mm-hmm. we would what a lot of other small distilleries would consider to be Large, there's still that element of you know we can't capitalize on you know the the mass-produced you know price savings that a lot of these big guys can. Like you know if you're ordering a 1.5 million bottles to ship all over the world, it's like yeah you're going to get a different price than you know the couple of bottles that I'm getting. So one of the biggest challenges with craft spirits is the price is the price point. Um, there's a lot of a lot of products that are on, at the SAQ for for other reasons, but um, that are in the 40 plus dollar range mm-hmm. when, you know, if you go to the United States, you go to even Ontario, you go to a craft distillery, you're expecting to pay something in the th- high $30 range. Yeah. Whereas in Quebec, you can really expect if you want a good quality craft product, you're looking at paying $50 plus. Mm-hmm. So one of the, things for us with Madison Park when we first when we released it was we wanted to be a premium product but we didn't want to be like you know a lot of the big ultra premium products so we had priced it at a good comfortable 43.50 at the SAQ.
0: Oh, what got you into distilling? Like what made you just you know with your dad being in post-production and hey let's start a distillery and you're like
1: ah, yeah, i So this. Um, my dad went down to the states and studied at a uh, uh, one of the one of the more renowned um, distilling crash courses called Moonshine University. Okay. Um, so he learned there, and then he went and uh, interned at uh, like I think four distilleries across the states. So he interned at one in uh, North Carolina. He interned one at Seattle. He inter- I think he even interned at one in um, Kentucky. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but. Um, he learned basically the, 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 you know, the whole business model, the, you know, the, the science, the manufacturing process. And his background was in science. So it was very much like a, like a, okay, these are the, these are the key steps you need to know for this. Um, and that's how he started the Madison Park. He did the Madison Park. He did the RM vodka. M stands for Montreal. And he did our pink gin and a whole bunch of other recipes. And then for me, when the distillery started, I had just turned 18 so in the province of quebec the legal drinking age is 18 Mm -hmm. unlike everywhere else like in the states it's like in 21 and ontario it's 19. so uh when i turned 18 i was like needed a part-time job (laughs) as a student and i was like you know i could i could do some stuff at the distillery so i helped out my dad doing a lot of distillations and i really just fell in love with the process you know Mm -hmm. it's a time-consuming process but it's i find it very peaceful um, yes, some, some things can go wrong, but oftentimes, if you're diligent, it's just a very zen type of manufacturing process. And for me, I really enjoyed that aspect. Um, it gave me time to, you know, focus on, you know, when the still is running, to focus on doing other things. Um, now that I'm doing this full time, if the still is running, I'm like washing tanks or mm-hmm. doing more things or bottling or those sorts of stuff. But back then, it was like, okay, I can distill; it's coming out good. I can actually taste what's coming off the still. Mm-hmm. And I can also like, I don't know, read a book or do my studies at the yeah. same time. I was like, sure, though, why not? And then um, that transformed into me delving deep into the literature, reading a whole bunch of books, um, following a whole bunch of famous distillers and well-known distillers in the US, um, just reading a lot of their papers and articles that they've put out. Um, I'm really a self-taught distiller. Uh, I did I've. I did an online course at the IBD, so the Institute of Brewing and Distilling. Mm-hmm. So I have that theoretical knowledge, but there's a lot of that in, in the theoretical knowledge. There's a lot that isn't taught in terms of like, you know, um, which I could talk about later oh because we have a continuous column. How to run a continuous column? What to expect? If your continuous column goes kaput, how are you going to, you know, uh, fix it? Mm-hmm. Uh, what types of products can you make? Um, and I think... Like, I think me not having that, that, that traditional distillers, you know, learning experience and being really self-taught has really lent my idea to creating unique and, 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 and different spirits um, and g- developing my own, my own identity in making these products. So now, right now, I'm, I'm 25, I've been doing this for about seven years now like distilling for seven mm-hmm. years now and uh, I'm, I'm the head distiller so I make everything uh, from A to Z here um, and we're uh, you know a lot of distilleries you know that the whole question is grain to bottle or neutral grain spirit or what are you doing mm-hmm. in that area but uh, for us we're 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 a unique version of grain to bottle yeah. uh, we're, we're one of the we're we have a big sustainability
0: model involved in our distillery yeah. speaking of the sustainability model I know you wanted to mention it please Go ahead. Tell, oh, me yeah. all, tell me all about that. So the sustainability model
1: um, really came about when um, myself and my brother, whom my brother is about three years younger than me, so he's 22, um, came about because we wanted to do something that was more environmentally friendly with our business, um, you know, or with the distillery. And we really wanted to create something that was sustainable, something that we can say is, you know, we're, we're trying to do our part. Um, because I'll be honest um, craft distilleries are not that sustainable Um, you know you're using the same amounts of energy the same amounts you know same amounts of waste same amounts of emissions to do your fermentation and your mashing that you know big breweries and other breweries are doing right now for and wineries are doing for their product and what do you do with all that spent grain I mean yeah you have a lot of spent grain but if you're a small craft distillery you're 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 not going to be it's difficult to find a farmer or mm-hmm. anyone to take that grain from you so it ends up you know compost or even worse i've heard of some distilleries putting it into landfills and it's like you know how do you remove that aspect and i came across at the height of the pandemic I came across an article from a French I forget where the article was but it was a um I could probably find it but It was a French winery that couldn't sell over 100,000 liters of wine. Like, ready-to-go wine. Like, it's good. But he couldn't sell it because it was... it, all of his international contracts had dried up in the pandemic. No one was shipping. No one was buying. It was it was one of those you know at the height of the pandemic in the early 2020. It was it was rough. No mm-hmm. one knew what was going on. Everyone stopped their purchase orders. Everyone just stopped everything. So he had wine that he couldn't keep because unlike you know booze and high proof spirits, like fermented products are perishable. Like they will go bad after a certain amount of time mm-hmm. if not kept in in pristine storage conditions so for us uh, for when i read that article uh he had dumped over a hundred thousand liters of wine he had to destroy over a hundred thousand liters of wine and i read that article and i said well there must have been some distillery that could have taken it to transform it into a brandy or Mm -hmm. some sort of spirit and and just make it a finished product and you know work with the winery or distill it for him and he can figure out what to do with it Um, but no The issue is that when you have volumes that large, for most craft distilleries and most distilleries who are running on pot stills, you know, yeah, you can pot still, you know, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand liters at a time, but a hundred thousand liters, that's a lot of time. You're talking about like more than two months worth of work. And that was the other idea for that led to our sustainability model, which was how can we prevent this from ever happening again how can we prevent this wastage of product that you know either can't be sold but is still good for distilleries or could be sold but isn't being sold for what unreason reason or another mm-hmm. and how can we process it and turn it into an extremely efficient method or in, in an extremely efficient way and for us that was one working with breweries who uh craft breweries big breweries any type of Quebec breweries that have a batch that goes bad, or a batch that they can't sell, or so and so and so. So instead of them dumping it down the drains into the city sewers, we recoup it. And uh, the other uh, thing was to process it efficiently. Continuous distillation. Oh. We looked at pot stills. We looked at large, large efficiency pot stills. So you know, pot stills in the you know five thousand, six thousand liter range. And the one thing that kept coming back to us was if we want to produce this into a neutral grain spirit to work with most um, most finished products and. In the distilling industry, most products are made from neutral grain spirit or just from a neutral spirit at 95%. Um, we can't get there with a pot still. Even with the 24 plate large columns and the 23 feet high uh, still, you just, like column, you just can't, it's rough to get it there. And continuous distillation is the only way to do it. So we knew we wanted to do this idea, we had to get a continuous still to do it. The idea was, how do we find a continuous still? Now, um, the only manufacturers of real continuous stills to make neutral spirits were either large, manu- large industrial guys. Which you know, as a small distillery, we don't. There isn't a lot of capital, yeah. free capital to, to to invest in capex, especially in Quebec. And also, so you know, getting a seven seven column system that can be sitting outside, that that's working off of grain silos or yeah. large grain fermenting grain silos. It's like just.
0: It's not feasible for us. Especially in Canada, I'm assuming.
1: It's... Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> Especially, like, you know, I'm kind of in that mix of resident, like, there's, yeah. like, some residential near here yeah. and there's, like, industrial. So it's like, yeah, I don't think they really wanted, like, biodiesel, like, biofuel, yeah. ethanol distillation, like, a couple of blocks away from the residential school zone. Probably not. <laughs> no. So, um, for us, it was, okay, we need to look at smaller systems. And systems made specifically for the distilling industry and not just, you know, biofuel, uh, ethanol fuel or just pure ethanol, uh, manufacturing. Okay. So we, uh, we looked at some options. We looked at Vendôme has one. So Vendôme distilling down in, um, down in uh, Kentucky, I believe. They have a continuous column system, but it's not really made to make neutral spirits. It's made more to make, uh, high, light, light whiskeys or, uh, high, high spirit whiskeys. Um, so that was off the table for us. Uh, we looked at Barrison, which is a manufacturer out in Europe. Um, the issue with Barrison is that they, their systems are 30 feet high and it was just not, it wasn't feasible. We have a 13 foot ceiling height yeah. and we weren't about to blow a hole in 12 inches of concrete and build a skylight. <laughs> um, the, and then, so that left us with two options on the table. The first option was a company out of Montana, a U.S., in uh, the, Montana called Headframe Distilling. And they specialize in making compact three-column distillation stills to make all sorts of range of whiskeys. So light whiskies, rums, tequilas, and vodkas. So distilling up to 95% um, and neutral grain Spirit, but in a compact form. So fitting uh, fitting under 20 feet Mm -hmm. um, and in a small footprint. So that was our option for us. And when we looked at that option, we were like, you know, it's great, but We'd love to work with a Canadian company, you know, support local. Um, there are, there's a, a great Canadian distillery, a g- great Canadian manufacturers around. And I stumbled upon one back actually in early 2000, like late 2019 when they started and they were advertising on the ADI forum uh, called Revival Stillworks out in uh, Sydney, BC. Okay. Uh, yeah. Or just outside of Victoria, BC. Mm-hmm. And um, I contacted them and and it was started by these two amazing guys, uh, Darcy, and brandon and i contacted them in early 2020 and i was like hey uh you know we're a distillery in um, montreal quebec we're looking at buying a continuous column you advertise it on your site uh, is this something that you guys can do and i remember uh, getting a call back from uh, from the, the owners brandon and darcy and they were like yeah we could do this uh but it's a it's a, like it's more of an R and D thing And, uh, we, over the Latin next about two years, like, actually two years worth Mm -hmm. of work, um, we worked with them closely to, to build and design this column, this, this 13 foot, three tower call, continuous still to process 5% beer that we recoup or between 5 to 7% beer that we recoup from these breweries that can't be sold and transform it into neutral grain spirit. So that is actually, that neutral grain spirit that we recoup from the bad beer is what we use as our base spirit for all of our products moving forward now. It really is a zero waste uh, a zero waste model, yeah. and it is really efficient and affordable for us to do so as well.
0: Yeah, no, we need this kind of stuff to keep the planet going. I mean, yeah. it's it's not a great place. Do you see adding uh, renewable energy as well at some point, maybe some solar panels? So
1: renewable energy is something that we would love to do, um, Unfortunate. Uh, Luckily in Quebec, most of the, electrici- the electricity electricity yeah. comes from hydropower, so we kind of already have that mm-hmm. that that re- that clean energy uh, source already available. You know, we don't get our energy source from coal or yeah. oil burning or, or natural gas burning or anything like that. But um, being self su- self sustaining and self sufficient on our own energy sources would be the next step that we would like to take. Um, it's just you know like looking outside right now, yeah, it's yeah. a bit difficult to run a, your the big months of
0: manufacturing on solar panels when yeah. there's like 13 inches of snow outside. Yeah. I, I worked in, in solar for a bit and it's like, yeah, how, how good is this in Canada? I'm like, it's not, it's not, not to be no. honest. I mean, it, it, the technology's not there yet. Hopefully it get, does get there so that more, it's a lot more efficient, you know. There's talks of, of I think it's IKEA doing like roof shingles as solar panels and like that's a great idea but you need that big battery so
1: yeah big battery and also you know the challenges of being in Quebec is how do you how do you get rid of that you know when when 13 inches of snow are on your roof how do you remove that safely and and in a safe manner because you know most people who have them aren't about to climb up on the roof and shovel
0: a roof yeah for sure why 1769 distillery not your last name distillery or or family sure
1: oh yeah I should have said that at the beginning. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, so, 1769 actually, it, it's pretty straightforward. It was the year of the first legally recorded distillery in the province of Quebec. Uh, so, before then, you know, distilling probably was around. They, they don't they don't really keep documentation of these sorts of things. But uh, in uh, 1769, in Saint Hush in uh, Quebec City there was a, the first legally recorded distillery in uh, the province. Um, and they made whiskey and rum, mostly from all of the uh, imports of the molasses, grain, and any sorts of um, materials that they got from uh, elsewhere. Okay. You know, wheats,
0: barley, those sorts of things. So it's, it's got a historic value too.
1: Yeah, we picked it for its historical value. And also we were one of the first Quebec dis- craft distilleries actually. We're, we're one of the pioneers of the craft distilling industry in Quebec. Um, we at the time there were only five other about I think five other craft distilleries who were starting out. There was um, who had licenses. It was us. It was a Cédric Michel Jadouin. It was uh, Paul Cirque So Cirque Distillery. Cirque mm-hmm. Distillery um, Le Le Subversif, which uh, made PJ Henricus, and uh, Domaine Pinnacle, which makes which made Angava. Okay. So we were one of the original five. Uh, I think it was five Um, and uh, you know basically it it just grew from there now we're plus we're like a hundred plus micro distilleries in the province which is like think the f- the biggest boom of micro distilleries in all of Canada
0: like it's 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 insane yeah it, it's it's hard for us as a show to even like keep up with just like oh let's discover a new distillery a new cidery and vineyards in the new year uh but it's like oh my god uh, there's yeah. so much so yeah. even breweries I mean there's over 300 and something now in Quebec if we're getting up near 500 in Ontario it's yeah, there's a lot. But it's great though, too, yeah, because yeah.
1: it leads to a lot of innovation. You yeah. know, um, the downside in, in with the distilling industry in Quebec is that, you know, we've got to we've all we've all got to go through the SAQ. We don't have any choice. We, you know, only in 2018 were we granted the right by the government to sell from our show from our tasting room. And even then we have to remit everything that we sell back to the SAQ. It's so it's as if we are just another sales point for the yeah. SAQ but the beauty in that is it forces distilleries to be innovative and it forces us to do to think outside the box Mm. it still it still sucks i will not i will say it it, it's not it's not a beautiful system and it definitely is far from perfect for what it's for how many distilleries we are but it it will allow it allows us to think okay well you know we can't just do another London Dry Gin. Yeah. Let's try something else. We can't just do another vodka. Let's try something else. And that's um, you know where our sustainability model really sets us apart from other all other distilleries is that n- no other distillery has that you know continuous column distilling capabilities, continuous distillation capabilities, and don't and doesn't have that sustainable that 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 recoup recuperation of fermented mm-hmm. product uh, sustainability aspect yeah. in their in their business. So that's where we. We're, we're really uh, we're really proud of that. Speaking of trying another product. Oh shell. yes. So
0: um, what, so are you a big gin guy? Cause we mostly do gins I'm here. Not a huge gin guy, honestly. I'm more of a, a whiskey scotch okay. type drinker, uh, but I do enjoy craft alcohols in general. So I, you know, I won't say no. Okay. To it. Uh, so, I'm more than willing to try something new. Do you like tea? Do I like what? Tea? Yes. Okay. So you'll like this one. So we do
1: um, our uh, Madison Park uh, product again, but we uh, and this one is actually like we're this is one of our, our flagship okay. products is our Madison Park breakfast gin, okay. which is uh, why I called breakfast gin. Well, um, happy with breakfast, we distill it. It's <laughs> the same botanicals as our London Dry gin, but we include bergamot in the distillation and then we infuse okay. it with black tea, so it has mm. an Earl Grey taste to it. Hence the name breakfast gin. Yeah. Um, and actually the owner, Andrew, my dad, um, his mom, so my grandmother never let him drink coffee in the morning. He only, only was allowed to drink tea growing up. Okay. So hence the name breakfast as well. It has a lot of, uh, it has uh, some little fun significance yeah. for him. Very cool. Um, so this is, this is really, um, really something unique and something that, uh, we're really happy with. Um, and, uh. Funny story actually, uh, the idea for this product came about because we were doing an event in minus 30 degree weather. I had to brew tea in minus 30 degree weather to mix with the London Dry Gin, and I was just so fed up about like freezing my fingers off that yeah. I was like, you know what, screw this, I can, why don't I just put the tea in the gin to begin with and I don't have to brew it.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, another innovation as you said. Yeah, say. cheers. A toast. Oh yeah.
1: So you got mm. the bergamot citrus so the 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 um, the, the bitterness of the, the bergamot you got the sweetness of the black tea you've got the botanicals there as well and we why um this one has picked up a lot for us is um for mixologists you know Montreal has a thriving bar scene and and even like not speakeasies but just a bit a thriving craft bar scene, yeah, yeah. And um, mixologists love working with the breakfast gin because it offers something extremely unique for them to work with. Um, one of the biggest things that they have a lot of fun with is, or I, I, they have a lot of fun with is they use it in bitter cocktails because the tea really just neutralizes yeah. the bitterness, so it, it brings the gin forward. So in an Negroni, for example. Oftentimes if you're using a gin, like a classic London dry style gin, the, the, the Campari can oftentimes overpower the botanicals mm-hmm. in the gin. Um, the breakfast gin, what happens is the tea really neutralizes that Campari's bitterness, keeps the sweetness of Campari, and, but also allows the, the, the botanicals of the gin to be elevated in the cocktail. But at the same time, it makes perfect simple cocktails as well. You know, My brother and I just drink this with lemonade. And uh, we're actually doing a, a ready-to-drink, uh, a, can, a canned uh, beverage yep. next summer with our breakfast gin um, as an iced tea, as a hard iced tea. Yeah.
0: Uh, see, and that, those are good to have too, those ready-to-drinks. Yeah. You know When we interviewed uh, Distillery Troilac. like yeah i have this pink lemonade gin i'm like i can never just picture myself drinking this and i have a few sips i'm like well it's winter which is weird but i would crush a bunch of these during summer because it's like five percent it's nice and balanced so yeah yeah, i'm sure what you guys come up a lemonade too during the summer that's Mm -hmm. that's perfect summer drinking cans you know super super easy to transport yeah yeah
1: it's um and and you know hard iced tea is a big growing category um for the longest time we Avoided doing um, canned cocktails, mostly because we wanted to focus on our bottled spirits. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, you know, we're distillers. We don't work, we don't usually deal with carbonation. And I think one of the biggest things that 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 separates, you know, that, that separated us from a lot of other distilleries was that we wanted to really focus on what we knew how to do best, which was mm-hmm. gins, finished like high ABV spirits, now liqueurs. Um, and focus on that. And um, the RTD was really, you know, it was an idea that we had for a good three, four years, but we never really had the chance to capitalize on it because it was... You know, for it, 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 we do everything here. We like to do everything here. So you know, you have to buy the canning line. You have to buy the pressurized tanks. You have to buy the dose uh, because it's not carbon not because it's not carbonated. You have to buy the nitrogen doser. You have to buy the chiller. You have to. There's a lot of purchases involved, and it was just something for us as a distillery. We were like, is this you know for doing one can cocktail? Mm-hmm. Is this something that we want to do? Um, Luckily, we we found another distillery that we're going to work with, who is phenomenal and has and has some experience doing canned cocktails. So we're we're working with them to get that out there.
0: Speaking of that kind of, you're collabing with another distillery. Who who are some people you'd love to collab with in the industry? In the industry, yeah. Oh man, I. I mean, I'm, I'm talking like even because your sustainability project. You mentioned mm-hmm. you grab beer from so other brewers. Who yeah. are some of those brewers, and then who else have you worked? Who who have you worked with, and who would you like to? So, unfortunately, I can't mention the breweries that we're okay. working
1: with. Um, mm-hmm. They, you know, as you could probably imagine, with how much beer I receive, these breweries would kind of like to remain yep.
0: Nope. anonymous. Yep, anonymous, more than fair. Um,
1: so, I... Can't say that, but I, what I can say is that uh, the the just other people I would love to be working with in this industry, um, you know, we used to make it. We used to make a whiskey. We're still trying to get back into the the bump of making whiskey, but the situation was that during the pandemic, barrels became hard to find. Used used bourbon barrels became hard to find. Uh, the waiting list used to be long. We were never buying a lot to begin with, so it was constantly just this like, oh well, you know, you didn't have an agreement with us. Um, you gotta you gotta you gotta wait in line. And the wait list wait lists were like when I when I started seriously looking, the wait lists were all the way to twenty twenty three. So for me personally, I would love to be working with a distillery, a craft distillery down in the states that is doing bourbons, like okay. so American whiskeys, fresh dumped, can't use the barrel again, um, and working one with one that that's really really good. Uh, you know, some of my favorite bourbons right now. I love uh, Old Scout. So a uh, Smooth Ambler is maybe one of my is one of my favorite American bourbons right now. I know it was bought by Pernod Ricard recently or a couple of years ago, but I'd still love to work with them. Rabbit Hole is one of my all time favorite bourbons that i that i'm just loving right now uh especially their high gold which is their their 75 corn i believe they're 75 corn and 20 rye and like bal- marted, malted barley and wheat mm-hmm. i believe it it's just phenomenal so working you know working with american distilleries that are that are that are doing a lot of whiskeys love to do something work with them to, to you know to to you know uh and if it, even if it's just a supply agreement of like I'll I'll take your barrels after you're done or like, well, we could work on something else here for the Canadian market. Um, Other breweries as well, you know, I mean, we work with some breweries right now, but like, always working with new breweries because every brewery, every craft brewery has different styles of beers and Mm -hmm. what I've noticed too is that even when distilling up to neutral, you get very distinct characters, you don't, it's not just like you're distilling malted barley and that's it, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the hops, the types of barley. Uh, the the types of grains that are used, the firm, the the type of yeast strains that are used are so impact the flavor of your spirit so much that like I'd love to be working with a lot more breweries now. You know, um, I think one of the coolest ones we're not working with them now, but I think one of the coolest breweries to work with would be be McCausland because um, you know Saint Amboise is such a large yeah. you know, beer Quebec beer. So I'd love to I'd love to work with, with them. Um, wineries
0: now, cideries too. Yeah, McCausland just distilled a um, Yeah, McCausland does have a distillery now. It, so, but are they working with because I know Circa is like literally Red right Cross
1: the uh, I don't think so. Okay. I think they're 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 self self-contained okay. within yeah. the distillery. Um
0: but you know like yeah. You know, call, give me a call. Uh, I, I'll 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 I'll, uh, I'll yeah. uh, distill all your your stuff for you. I mean, maybe I'll have to bother them. I've enjoyed a few too many pints on their terrace. Yeah. So I think they yeah. owe me. Yeah. <laughs> I think they owe a lot of Quebecers because that terrace is something else. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful campus yeah. that they have there. It is beautiful. Now I know it's more private events you do in, in your tasting yeah. room and stuff. If the option were there and weren't such a pain in the butt to get going to kind of have. People, you know, just don't even have to have it open that, let's say 5 to 11, to have people come in and enjoy a few cocktails and go.
1: I'm technically not allowed to do that under the laws. So the way the laws work in Quebec are... As a distillery, I'm allowed to offer my tasting. I'm allowed mm-hmm. to offer a tiny mixer with that tasting. I'm allowed to, you know, offer my tours and tastings. I'm allowed to sell my bottle, but I can't just open my front door and say, "Hey, come in like a tap." I can't just open my front door and yeah. run it like a tap room. I've got to, if I'm going to do that, I've got to, you know, go through the hoops of, you know, is this a, this is a private event? It's closed door. I had to sell tickets. I have to advertise that it's a private event. It's like, yeah, I can advertise a little a set. But it's not just something like a tap room for a brewery where mm-hmm. you say your opening hours are this and come in and enjoy a beer. It's it really is something that that every time I want to do something like that, I've got to put a lot of pre-planning into. Okay, and it's we're trying to get the government to change it, but um, there's a lot of. There's a lot of like hidden things that are are roadblocks for for us as an industry.
0: um, The alcohol industry in general in Quebec, I find there's still a lot of old laws on the books that we just need to get rid of. Yeah, to me are in my I'm because I'm consumer and I love to consume the products. uh, In my eyes, they're just pointless. And I'm sure as a business owner yourself and and project manager head distiller, it's like come on. you guys are literally kind of taking money out of my pocket here, because you know that's a thousand dollars there a day, a thousand dollars when you think about it. So.
1: Yeah, it, well, it's it definitely in my mind the the monopoly of the SAQ hurts the consumer more than it helps them. Mm-hmm. And I know the SAQ will come out and say, you know, we're trying, you know, and and I and I give them credit. They they are they do what they 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 do the best that they can do, and they love doing what they can. They 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 love working with Quebec craft distilleries because it's. It's, you know, there's no overseas shipping. There's no, it's we're right at the door. It's, you know, you, uh, we had a driver here yesterday pick up a shipment and it's just simple. It's, you know, mm-hmm. drive from the warehouse, come pick up here, go back. It's not like you, there's no large supply chain organized like issues that you have to like figure out. So they, they love working with us. They love the innovation that Quebec spirits are offering. But the issue with the SAQ is that um, the, our offerings, Quebec distilleries offerings are so vast And the shelf space for Quebec distilleries are so, for shelf space for the spirits category at the SAQs are so small Mm -hmm. that, you know, and they're getting even smaller because there's space concerns. Like, how, like, they can't offer everything as much as they would like to offer everything to the consumer. They just can't. So you guys, as the consumer, end up, you know, going to to an SAQ and you're like, well, I only have these choices available. And if none of those choices fancy you, you're kind of like, kind of (laughs) SO.
0: Yeah. yeah, you're you're, you're, so you're right. out of luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: and um, and that's that's the that's the big concern. And even when you come to the distillery, like you know, let's say you want to get a distillery specific product, mm-hmm. you know, like for us, like uh, we sell all of our all of our products at the SAQ, but some of our new unique, you know, mostly whiskeys that we're going to be releasing in the next couple of years are only going to be available at the distillery, and. You know, yes, we're in Montreal, but where we are located in Montreal is a tad hard to get to for you know anyone living in downtown or anyone living in the northern part of the island. Mm -hmm. So it's that idea of like, okay, well, how do you offer? Is there a way that you can offer everything? And and e-commerce doesn't work. Like, like it just e-commerce is not a thing in Canada. It it doesn't. Yeah, it's offered, but it just it's. you know, it's when it it's, comes to the booze industry. Yeah, business. when it comes yeah. to the booze industry, it's 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 rough to get going because you need to hit your minimum orders and then your that. And also, the margin that they take uh, makes spirits significantly more expensive for mm. the consumer. You know, like, um, I'll take, for example, you know, our two premium product gins, our Royal Mount. Uh, we at the SAQ they retail for 51 bucks. I can tell you right now that, like, if you know, the margins were different, I could easily retail that for, you know, Forty-one, forty, like forty-one, forty. Yeah. Um, you know the same price that you know Hendrix goes for down in the states. It's you know, it it's it's laws. It's these archaic laws that that really hamper um the options that consumers have, which really kind of sucks.
0: Yeah. No, we need to. You know, like I said, is we need almost like federal but provincial law. It needs to all work together. Yeah. Like you're able to. Export your products to the other provinces, right? Yes. Okay. So right now, um, our
1: Royal Mount Gin, so our cucumber and rose flavored Royal Mount Gin, which was our answer to uh, wanted to do a cucumber gin. Mm-hmm. So we uh, it was our so our, our premium cucumber gin. We shipped that one to Alberta. So we're sold in Edmont- uh, in Edmonton and around uh, around other cities in Alberta. We're sold in jacks uh, the private liquor store at Jack's at in uh, BC, so mm-hmm. Vancouver, the Vancouver area, and a bit around there. Um, and we're sold in Quebec. We're working on trying to get it back into Ontario because the LCBO is a oh, whole yep. other story. Uh, so we're trying, to get, we're trying to get that back into the LCBO um, and into the Ontario market because we spent a lot of time there trying mm-hmm. to build our brand. Um, and uh, yeah, so we ship out well, outside and shipping outside is not, is not overly difficult, yeah. but because it's still within bonds, so the excise, the, you don't have excise issues across the provinces. But, like, it's still, you know, Quebec is my hometown. Quebec is, you know, the, the, the home market for my products. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's uh, the, the SAQ's monopoly is very difficult to offer all of my offering, to get all of my offerings out to the consumer. Yeah. Uh, you want to try one more product yeah, here? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, we make gin, but I'll switch to something a bit more interesting. Yeah. Um, something that we're the only distillery in the province to make. Uh, we do a peanut butter whiskey liqueur. So okay. as probably a lot of everyone knows, peanut yeah. butter whiskey is a big thing in the United States. It, it's starting to be, it's a, big, it's a big thing with Screwball in Ontario, out west, yes, but in Quebec, it never really picked up on the big brands. So like Screwball, Sheepdog, all these big brands never really picked up. Mm-hmm. But I realized that I wanted to try, I wanted to make something that was more authentic um, a lot of these big brands, what they do is they say they're peanut butter whiskey, but they use clever marketing Okay. of saying, uh, you're not allergic to peanuts, I hope.
0: Oh, you? no, no, no. Okay. That's good to know. No, um, <laughs> I'm just allergic to cats and nature. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, same. <laughs> um, Whoa. So
1: we wanted to make something different. Yeah. We use 100% real Canadian whiskey. So a three-year aged wheat distillate. Uh, so a light Canadian whiskey. And then we um, use real peanut flavors and real peanut butter flavors in the blending afterwards uh, to make this peanut butter whiskey liqueur. Um, we we really didn't want to just cheap out and do the um, yeah. do the neutral grain spirit with caramel coloring, whiskey flavor, awesome. all those things. Cheers. Toast.
0: That is very unique and very tasty.
1: Yeah. So it's it's very. It has that reminiscence of the American, of the the great American peanut butter whiskeys on the market, but um, I just wanted to do it in a, with more high quality, with higher quality mm-hmm. ingredients, wow. and um, you know, at for the price point of thirty seven seventy five, it's that's I think uh, I think it turned out really nice. Yeah,
0: that's that's pretty delicious. Yeah, uh, the truck out front. What, what made you guys decide to do? That truck that you guys Oh, the the little car? Yeah, the little car. (laughs) So when
1: we started in like 2015, 2016, Mm -hmm. my dad, massive car nut. Like he had at one point, I think like 30 plus vintage Italian cars. Most of them weren't working, but (laughs) he had like, he just collected cars. Um, and when we started the distillery and he, you know, downsized, he, he kind of went through his, he had the reverse midlife crisis where he was like, I'm not going to just buy a whole bunch of cars. I'm going to sell all my cars and start making booze. Okay. Um, he sold all those cars, but the only one of them ones that he kept was that little escargot Mm -hmm. out there. Um, and we decided, you know what, it's a cool little car. It's unique. It catches people's eye. So we uh, put our stickers, our brands on it, and our distillery name on it, and mm-hmm. we would drive it around town. And we'd, if we do a tasting, or we were like, you know, we knew we were going to be downtown for a bit, or like in around the Outwater Market or some of the big SAQs, we just park it in front of an SAQ and like, kind of come back it three definitely hours draws later. The eye, so. It would draw the eye. Yeah. And, and I think, I think, um, I think I'd love to try that again cuz we used to, we did that in 2018 2015 but yeah. we just it was always a hassle to park the car come back leave it it was just difficult yeah. so we uh, so we uh, we we put it in storage it's not drivable it's, dri- it's still drivable mm-hmm. but like we need
0: to fix it fix up, it up, up yeah.
1: again but
0: so festivals yeah. are back too so yeah I mean, yeah we'll we'll see um i don't know about this year's la cuvee if, if gin's making it this year or it's another alcohol la cuvee is a beer slash oh yeah uh, liquor festival f- in downtown so. i mean it must it must be yeah. right like it's gin is such a large category yeah. in quebec
1: um I mean that's one of the things that we're looking at doing a lot more is um we kind of really got like at the time when we started, beer festivals are really our only type of festivals that mm-hmm. we can do, other than the big wine festivals. And I always enjoyed the beer festivals more than the wine festivals. Cause you you it, it was a lot more interpersonal. It was a lot more fun. It was a lot more like, you know, hey, yeah, like, uh, what, what goes well with this beer or yeah. what's something that you can do with this? Whereas in with the wine festivals, you can still kind of get that vibe, but it's like, oh, well, you know, I've, I've had uh, three reds that are all in the $70 category and uh, now I want to try an alcohol, but I
0: don't like gin and I don't like hard alcohol. Yeah. I'm like, guys, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> come on. Uh, I do you know especially with beer now like the variety it's i do find beer drinkers are a little more adventurous than wine drinkers cider drinkers as well now like we've been getting into yeah. Quebec ciders and it's it's crazy the, the
1: cidery world cidery the cider, cider. world yeah. is just so so out there man yeah. they they come up with some of the craziest stuff i've ever had like tequila flavored ciders yeah. maple syrup flavored ciders i'm like what is like where yeah. did you guys come up with these ideas
0: I love them. I mean, you were also coming out like the peanut butter. I know you say are It's basing it on an American peanut butter whiskey, but still, it's like it's the only product you said like yeah. this in Quebec, and I was like, whoa, this I gotta find. Yeah. I'm sure my father would love this. So. Yeah.
1: Well, like I said, all these all of our products are at the SAQS. It's yeah. just a matter of finding an SAQ that has it. So, um, but you know, that's uh, you know, that's, that's something that we got to keep working yeah. on is just getting the distribution up and getting. Products into more stores and on more shelves and stuff like that. But.
0: So what I saw is you have like a couple of kind of homemade cocktail with the little barrel things. How, are, how do those work? So uh,
1: those actually, we used to do cocktails in a barrel for bars. Okay. Um, so we would pre-batch a cocktail because uh, bars can't pre-batch cocktails and sell them to the consumer. Mm-hmm. It's in, in Quebec, they consider that a health hazard. So what we did was we pre-batch the cocktail for the bar, put it in the barrel, shipped it to the SAQ. The SAQ opens these 18-liter barrels, and they're like, what the hell is this? <laughs> they call us. They're like, oh, what is this? And they're like, oh, it's for a bar. They're like, oh, okay. So they they tag it, they test it, whatever. And then they put it on the shelf. And uh, we had um, we did this for a while, which was yeah. a maple old-fashioned or a Negroni in a barrel mm-hmm. where you would we would pre-batch those cocktails with our own products. And um, it would age on the shelf over the month that... Um, the bar or the restaurant would use it, um, but in terms of like cocktails, like simple, easy cocktails, you know, we're mostly a gin distillery. So there's three cocktails that usually every gin needs to work with, and at least two of them needs to need to knock it out of the park for mm-hmm. it to be considered a great gin recipe. That's the gin and tonic, the martini, and the negroni. Okay. Um, so basically, uh, you know, gin and tonic, you know two ounces of gin, three quarters of the glass is tonic water with ice uh, with either your garnish that oftentimes you want to pick a garnish that is related to the flavor or the main taste of the gin or one of the ingredients in the gin. So like one of the biggest things that drives me absolutely nuts is like when a gin and tonic will have the, uh, you know, be a juniper gin, like a, like juniper, coriander, orange peel like citruses mm. and angelica, which is a very umami and like kind of very... Um, like rooty botanical, um, they would put a cucumber in it. And I'm like, no, put the orange peel. Yeah. Put like something else. And usually
0: it's like the orange peel twist. Yeah. Like save the cucumber for the cucumber gin. Like put it
1: the, yeah. the cucumber works in Hendrix. Don't or like in Royal Mount. Like don't put the cucumber in the Madison Park London dry. Yeah. So it's like that for me is like finding picking the garnish that really will complement the botanicals. So that's a gin and tonic. The martini is a pretty simple, you know, uh, quarter ounce vermouth, mm-hmm. two ounces, three ounces of gin, shake or stirred, and then pour it in a glass. However, my favorite type of martini to make is a Vesper martini. So it's the James Bond martini, which is a quarter ounce Lille, which is a fortified wine, um, or uh, which uh, you could get at the SAQ. I don't know if it's still available, but i have a bottle hidden somewhere (laughs) in my house uh a two ounce uh two ounces of gin and one ounce of vodka so you usually want to do a two to one of gin and vodka and it just really is a great i love that cocktail i love that martini it's my go-to martini whenever i'm at a steakhouse or whenever i'm at somewhere and i'm like i'm gonna have a nice glass of wine but i want a classy like good cocktail to Mm -hmm. begin with and then there's the negroni which is the uh you know Two-ounce uh, two gin, one part, like one, one, one. So one mm-hmm. ounce gin, one ounce vermo- vermouth, one ounce Campari. And that's a great cocktail too. My friend loves that one. Um, but at the same time, you know, simple is always the easiest. So gin tonic or with lemonade or with the breakfast, in the breakfast gin's case, lemonade. Um, so that's usually where we, where we uh, go with.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so what's next for yourself and 1769 as a brand? We have a lot of interesting projects coming up in 2023,
1: Um, one of them actually, so we're putting, we're starting to put away a lot of whiskey, um, waiting for barrels still because barrels are... The
0: law in Canada, seven years?
1: Three years for it to be considered a Canadian whiskey. Okay. Um, And technically I can release it before, but I can't call it a Canadian whiskey. Moonshine. I could call it a whiskey actually, in the law, um, in the federal law. It it literally it, it says that, you know, you can call it a whiskey, but you can't call it a Canadian whiskey. Okay. okay. Um the, the the nomenclature in the law is very different from the American style nomenclature right. where where it's like you know vodka has to be distilled up to like 190 proof and it has to have be odorless and colorless and tasteless and like you know be a high quality spirit and like in canada it's basically just saying it has to be tasteless it has to be tasteless and uh, and have no distinctive character Mm -hmm. it's like not you don't have doesn't have to be distilled up to 190 proof or any of these things so so for us we're going to do a canadian whiskey we're going to do an older Canadian whiskey, so 5-year we're looking at as well, okay. as well as the 3-year. We're going to bring back our Canadian whiskey that we had beforehand, um, and we're going to put away a lot more whiskeys. And actually, one of the ones things that I'd love you to try is um, is this new spirit, actually, that uh, I'll rinse your glass for you. Yeah, this is actually a very new spirit, um, and I'd love you to... I'd love for you to try it and yeah. tell me what you think it is. Just,
0: just to let you know, I'm not like a fancy palate or anything. I'm oh, just no, no, a no, that's palate. fine. I know what I like, that's fine. I know what I don't like, so. But it's, I yeah. want you to try
1: this and tell me what you think, what you think it is, because this is something that we're going to be releasing in the new All year. Right. Toast. Cheers.
0: I have no idea what that is.
1: But it's got like, has like a bit of an agricole taste, rum, tequila, the funkiness of tequila.
0: Um, almost like a I'm getting the rum. I'm not getting much of the tequila, personally. There's something else there. I can't tell what it is though. It's like a rum. Um oh, I think I've had that before, but I can't remember what it was called. Almost like a rum liqueur. So this is actually our. Um, well, before did you find it
1: smooth? Was it? Yeah, was no, it, a drink? it went down. Yeah, it went down just fine. So. This is actually our blend of recycled beer spirits. <laughs> really? So this is oh, a so blend uh, of... Almost
0: like a beer schnapps.
1: Yes. So okay. the, effectively, this is a blend of recycled beers, but there's no sugar added. Okay. It's at 47%. So what you had was at 47 and um, we're releasing it as our new make spirit. Okay. So this is basically what we're going to be really Putting we're going to be racking in a barrel, and also what we're selling. But uh, because it has that very distinctive new make rum-like agricole taste, mm-hmm. we're releasing it as a replace as a as a full 100% Quebec replacement for any sort of rum cocktail that you would be making. So you can use okay. this in a daiquiri. I just have a I have a bottle of this at 76% that I use in rum and coke uh this is i it's a that's only one or two ramen to
0: that percentage yeah <laughs> so no so, yeah because I, I recall our interview at ohem he made a beer schnapps yeah and it was recycled beer from the brewery next door and he turned it into a schnapps so
1: so that the only difference is that there's no sugar added in this. Okay, this is very straight cool. this is straight double distillation. This is stripped on the continuous column, pot stilled immediately after, and then we do a whole bunch of different beers and we
0: blend them together to get our notes. Very um, cool. So we're 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 excited for that one as well. Yeah. Just pull out like all the hoppiness and, and the weeding. because yeah, yeah, there's like no no hoppiness that you smell. Yeah. Then again, you know, most people just think that the current trend in beer is like all beer is New England IPAs I'm like, no, there's so much more.
1: The so. issue with, like, I, so I'm a big beer guy, but I'm not, I, so I kind of like, I'm like a faux beer guy, if that makes sense. <laughs> Be like, yeah, I love craft beers, but then like I get something hoppy and I'm like, yeah. no, this is not for me. And, You're a lager guy. Yeah, I'm a lager guy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a yeah. lager. I love my, I love my stouts as well. Mm-hmm. I'm a massive stout guy. Um, and uh, the issue that I have with a lot of the hops is because I've had, I've distilled a lot of beer bad beer and recycled beer and beer that can't be sold for my r&d purposes and when you distill a very hopped beer you just get the bitterness of the hops all the fruity notes Mm. all of the notes that made that hop specific to that beer have disappeared or have transformed with the massive heat in the massive amounts of heat in the column so for me it's like when i taste those hops those hops and beers i'm kind of like i I think back to some of those bad experiences yeah. I've had distilling, and I'm like, mm, yeah, no, I know it's a great beer, but it's just not for me. Anything else coming up or uh, no, pretty that's... big 2023
0: from Sound of It already? So.
1: Yeah, we got a pretty big 2023. I kind of want to take, like we were talking about distillery vacations, I want to take a vacation finally.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been working nonstop. But... Uh, plus, you know, kind of the world really, not. Yeah. I personally was getting on the plane the last two years, maybe now more so, but... Yeah, the last two years, I'm like, no, I'm not sitting in a tube of recycled air <laughs> for hours on end going oh. somewhere. So yeah, no, yeah. fantastic, uh, Alex. Honestly, thank you very much for hosting no us problem. today. I really appreciate this. Uh, some delectable alcohols I've gotten to taste here today. For those who are looking for 1769 products and where they can find you, let them know where they can find you.
1: Yeah. So, um, if you're interested at all in any of our products, you can go to our website at www1769 y.com. so it's 1769distillery.com. Um, we're uh, located in Montreal, most of our products, all of our products are in the SAQs across the province. Um, some of our Royal Mount, so one of our products is located also in uh, Alberta and Vancouver um we're trying to get some of our products into the united states hopefully in, in the next couple of years uh but yeah if uh, and you can follow us on social media instagram primarily we're mostly active on there what's the handle for the social media? so the handle for say 1769 uh, distillery.com
0: so all that's going to be in the show notes ask for us allbeerinside.com is the website at allbeerinside on all social media and as you say at the end of all episodes drink craft not crap